UK Motor Talk. Well, hello everyone. We are back. This is UK Motor Talk, and I'm Mike. Hello. And I am Jim. Good evening, good day, good morning, whenever it is. Hello, I'm Graham. Welcome aboard. And I'm Dave. How's everyone doing? Or in well, life in general, or <laughs> bearing up on well, I know who you can be. I will say this, though. It's light in the evenings now. It's gone 8 o'clock when we're recording here. Sorry to spoil the magic for you. It's 8 o'clock in the morning as well, so presumably it's gone 8 o'clock at any time of the day. Um, but it's, it's 8 o'clock in the evening when we're recording now. It's still light outside. Which for me would meant nice. I could come home and wash the car after work, and that was made me quite happy. It does also mean that your cars, which are otherwise normally hibernating or don't have roofs or whatever, can now come out the garage and you can enjoy them because why not? Weather's improving. I think there's generally a good vibe, isn't there? There is, although your hibernation car is still hibernating, having its uh, engine rebuilt, isn't it? Well, the engine's sort of built. I've just got to take the old one out, pop the flywheel over between the two and do a bit of painting, really, then it's ready to go. It's just finding some time to actually do it. I think if I just took some time off and then drove from the front of my house round to the back where my garage is and just didn't tell anyone that I was in the garage, maybe I could just about get away with it if I didn't need to go to the loo or something all day. See if anyone noticed and just drive back at the end of the day. (laughs) Anyway, I think there's some exciting news, isn't there? You have done a thing. I have done a thing. I've I've found a nice car and I've... uh to use your terminology, left a deposit on it rather have uh, you? rather swiftly. So I uh, I have yes, as we are well taking the uh, the sage advice of uh, of the uh, fellow podcasters here. I have uh, bought myself a Caterham Seven. So the uh, following our discussion about well, you can have a shower in a Caterham if it gets wet, but you can't drive a bathroom. I thought okay, let's go and have a look at this one. So uh, yes, I, uh, I took a trip up to uh, to Gravely and Payne GP Sevens as they're known. And uh, not too far away. I had planned to go um, the week before, actually, but rain kind of stopped play on that one. Uh, but yeah, went up a, a couple of weeks ago, had a look at it, test drove it, and uh, yeah, left a deposit on it. It was rather a nice thing. It's um, 2008 Road Sport SV in Viper Blue, and uh, I'm yeah rather looking forward to picking it up. So it's uh, yeah, we need a nice sunny day, and uh, they're just in the middle of drilling out about seven thousand rivets to fit. Uh, lowered floors to it at the moment because I'm six foot so I don't quite fit in it high wise without the lowered floor so once I've done that and uh, popped a new MOT on it it should be good to go there are three things here I think firstly what does SV mean secondly what does road sport mean and thirdly is this because when you're sat in the car the top part of your your forehead will just be covered in flies as you're driving along so you need the sort of lower floor so you can duck much below it, the windscreen. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so- uh, that's it. The uh, I mean, they're, they're not the most uh, most spacious of cars, um, but if you want just a, a bit more room, the uh, the the SV is uh, relates to Series Five, so it's V Five in uh, in Roman numerals. That's really clear. It simply means uh, wide. So there was the uh, the S One and Two, and then the S Three, which is the one that you'll see driving around today. Uh, there was a Series 4 at some point, which is, uh, have a, a Google of it, it's a weird looking thing. Um, and then the 5 that they made a bit longer and a bit wider, uh, just for uh, for slightly bigger drivers. But it's um, road sport, so as the name suggests, slightly more road orientated. But really with these things, it's kind of a, well, that was your starting point. You can fit 
whatever you want to it after that and flicking back through the uh, the big pile of service history that this had it's got the super light wide track front suspension on it it's had a limited slip diff fitted in the past and all sorts of bits and pieces so actually the the road sport doesn't mean a lot to be fair the spring rate whether you go for the normal suspension or the track suspension is the same rate it's just whether the dampers are adjustable which they are on this one and um yeah, it's, uh, I'm just I'm I'm looking forward to it. As I say, blue with uh, silver stripe on it, so it's giving me 1998 Volvo S40 British touring car vibes to it. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's just a uh, a lovely thing. I'm uh, yeah itching itching to pick it up. Lovely place, GP7s. Um, met up with Anthony, one of the owners. Had a good old chat with him and Damien, the other owner, was there and the uh, the dog as well. He was uh, he was floating around. So just uh, a nice. Uh, I suppose it's a dealership, really, but it's a uh, you know a couple of buildings with a workshop on one side and the showroom on the other side, and they just seem to have a nice nice way about them. Really good reputation, come well reviewed. So it was a, it was a nice place to go and spend an afternoon, if nothing else. Um, but no pressure, no no hassle, no nothing. It was just a yeah a nice uh, a nice experience. It's wonderful the the longevity of that car because the seven dates back into the late fifties, if I remember rightly. And it's one of those, it's a sort of Colin Chapman cast off, wasn't it? He? he sort of cast the design to the winds when he lost interest in it. Yeah, well, I think it, it came about as the, uh, there used to be a, a good old lump of VAT on fully assembled cars, but then not on kit cars. You sold it in kit form. Uh, and then the government got wise to that, so they said um, anything uh, anything provided designed to be assembled would also be subject to VAT. So Colin Chapman, being the uh, the wonderful rule reader that he was, uh, if the car was supplied with assembly instructions, then you charge VAT on it. However, if you provided a set of instructions to disassemble a complete car, then that didn't count, so you didn't pay VAT on it. So all you did was read the manual backwards, and that's it. And I love that. I adore that. I think that's just a brilliant. Any rule you can come up with, I'll find a way around it. So he, you know, he he spent his entire career reading the Formula One rule book, and and was just as good at reading what wasn't in the rule book as what was in the rule book. So he uh, he came up with the idea on it this. It really is a definition of the great Formula One designers, isn't it? They've all had that capability of taking the rule book and, and finding all the gaps in it. And it doesn't matter how many times the FIA or whoever they were at the time revised it. There were always those those geniuses that, that found every possible loophole and became very successful because of it. Chapman was a good example. Adrian Newey is another, of course, but uh, you know there have been many others who are just capable of designing their way through the plethora of regulations. Ross Braun is another good example, but then, of course, he's the classic case of um, the uh, poacher turning gamekeeper. The blue and silver, it just suddenly reminded me of the Ecuria Ecos um, motors. You thought these old C-types and things, weren't they? C and D-types particularly. That's what metallic blue and silver... I wonder if maybe that they could have some sort of classic racing vibe to yours. I think part of the reason why it popped into my head, actually, was because when we were at Goodwood last year, they had the race transporter down there. And it's there's another race transporter that's popped up for sale today. Yes, indeed. Uh, it just caught my eye. It's a classic car dealership in, in Holland that uh, seems to email me every so often with some of the delights that come its way. And uh, this is the um, Porsche 917 team truck which 
formerly would carry four complete cars in it, all the spares, etc., etc. So uh, fabulous looking car in the, in the Martini colorways. So I thought it might go rather nicely with uh, the um, with the Caterham, but uh, perhaps the color is just not quite right. I like the the Merc front end on that. It's, it's a it's a pretty looking truck, isn't it? Yeah, there's quite a market in X-Team trucks. I mean, the Acura Cost one was a good example. That fetched an awful lot of money because I remember Bonhams four or five years ago, something like that, at Goodwood, they sold all of the assets of Acura Cost, and they're now dispersed around a number of uh, different collectors. But from memory, there was a couple of D-types, a couple of C-types, some others, and, and the Transporter. And the Transporter is the stuff of legend. But all of those really old 50s, 60s, I guess early 70s Transporters seem to have found a new home at Goodwood. They're, they're in and out of there all the time. They're, they're classic and very collectible and very expensive. They do look impressive lined up at the back of the paddock at the uh, Revival, mm. don't they? Especially the Ferrari one standing out and obviously the Acuria Cos. Very... Um, of their time, shall we say, much like the cars that they used to service. It's a very nice one, which is from the Alfa Romeo Museum when they bring their, their cars over. And it's, it's just a wonderful, that Alfa Romeo Grand Prix colour from the, I guess, from the 50s, probably even earlier, 40s, 50s. Kind of perfect for Goodwood, though, isn't it? Because you could take it down there and then potentially sleep in it. If you wanted to, you could put a tent up inside the back of it and it's going to be relatively warm and relatively dry, I'd say, in there. And then you're right in the middle of it. So you could you could just jump straight out. Because, of course, you'd be parked inside the paddock, wouldn't you? It'd be a great place to sort of base yourself. Bring your race car along. Take the race car. That's, that's the dream, isn't it? Any idea how much this thing's going to go for? Because it, there's only three of them exist, aren't there? There's one that's in a Porsche museum. I'm not sure where the other one is. And this is a third. But there's been completely rebuilt. They've had to get the correct Mercedes front grille, lights and everything else to put on it. I didn't see a price tag on it, so uh, Mm. I I, I would have to go and research that a little bit. But they they are fetching some some serious money now. Mm. Sometimes you're pleasantly surprised. Earlier on, Jim and I were in the office and we were following an auction of a uh, Delta Integrale in the right livery. Rally spec. There's some fantastic photos of it parked up and looking shiny, and then some fantastic pictures of it going absolutely sideways. But at the time, that was doing about fifty grand, wasn't it? It wasn't anything like as expensive as you thought it might be. There was three and a bit hours to go and nineteen bids, so I dare say it would go for uh, yeah. a little bit more than that. But yeah, it was the normally the you know on cars like that the uh, the description would be oh you know lovingly cared for, never driven in the rain, dry stored, blah blah blah. This and this thing was yeah here it is. Look at it. It's sideways covered in mud. Buy it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. I'll, I'll have to have a look and see what that went for at the end. But yeah, it's uh it's beautiful. And the idea of having a rally car, of course, you can keep in your garage and still drive it on the road. Admittedly, with a <laughs> with some headphones on or something, perhaps because it'd be ridiculously loud. But the fact that you could actually use it if you wanted to 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 nip to the shops and go and get milk, I think is very attractive, very appealing, um, particularly if you're a mere mortal and don't own a racetrack or have the means of having someone to run it for you and drop it off on a custom transporter or something else. I think that if you could have something like a rally car, definitely very tempting indeed. Just looked it up. It sold for the uh, the relatively bargain price of £73,600. I um I raise you a Lancia Delta, sorry, Lancia Delta, you should pronounce it. Final edition, five door, 1994 M Reg, which has got the uh, the original Integrale look, headlights and all that sort of oh, thing. Oh, I saw this. Yes, yes 194,000. 
999 oh, English oh. pounds, wasn't it? Yes, thing? one one nine four nine nine five with a uh, an apostrophe or comma rather under after the first three digits. So that's one hundred ninety four thousand nine hundred and ninety five pounds. It's only got twenty odd thousand miles on it. To be fair, so you know it's quite low miles for its uh, for its age. But my God, that's a lot of money for a car that I adore. But even I would. I think I would shudder because I'd be scared to drive it. It's a bit like if you're, um, you know, reading a set of accounts or something and you look at it and you think, well, that's not a lot of money. But then you look at the top of it and some accounts obviously list everything in millions or billions, but they just put <laughs> billions at the top to save on the ink and typing out lots of zeros. And you think, oh, that's billion. Oh, that is quite a lot of money. A bit like, <laughs> yeah. a, a bit like BP this week with their uh, record profits. They've done rather well, haven't they? Funnily enough. The Integrali, as I understand, they didn't bother particularly beefing up the chassis uh, or the body. They just put the extra power in because I think they had to make so many for homologation reasons. They weren't too fussed about the rest. And so I understand even some of the standard cars start to rip themselves apart after a while at the bulkhead because they they don't have the, 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 sort of the necessary support to be able to facilitate the extra power. So when you say you'd be fr- afraid to drive, I'll be afraid to drive in case I rip the thing literally to bits. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd hope, though, with 27,000 miles that it's got on it, it's probably a little way off pulling itself to pieces. But I'm sure, in fact, I know what you mean. I think there are any number of people that will do the sort of the filleting bits of metal into it and strut braces and tower tying and all that sort of thing. But, you know, ultimately you want the purest thing. I mean, that's the thing. If you had that one, a 200 grand Integrale, the chances are, well, certainly if it was me, I wouldn't want to be going out ragging it everywhere. I would just quite like the experience of going out, just pottering in it, belting it every so often, throwing it around the odd corner and coming back and thinking, I own that. I know what it can do. You just have another one, a cheap one, like your 74 grand one for going out and actually doing <laughs> things in. And, and split, keep that one. Yeah. yeah, keep that one for best, you know, just to sort of show off to the neighbours, go, you think that's good? Wait here. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, it's a bit like our, uh, you know, you asked the question in our uh, little WhatsApp group about um, track days in the Catrum. And I thought, was, I, I, yes, I'm sure I will at some point. But it's like, but we have got the Fist track car and that really doesn't owe us a lot of money. So there's a little bit, mm, one's a bit of good, cheap fun. The other one I've kind of put my life savings into. So, I mean, I, I say that now, I'll, you know, give it six months and I'll be flying around a track somewhere in it, no doubt. But there is that bit of, Possibly well, with what's insurance. more fun, because what, uh, yeah, with uh, with insurance, I think it will be uh, the first time we bother with some track day insurance. Um, but you, you do kind of think, it was, well, how do you find out if a corner's flat out? If you think it's flat out, well, in the Fiesta, then we, all right, just chuck it in flat out and see what happens. The Cadrum, I'm not so sure, but uh, we shall see. We shall see. So from one end of the scale to the other then. Now, something we've spoken a lot about because, well, you can't get away from it, can you? Electric cars. Now, the issue with these really is that they aren't cheap. Apart from ignore any other infrastructure problems, everything else. If you are looking at buying one, and there are lots of people that might, they aren't cheap to buy. My brother, in fact, has just bought an electric car, and he has bought one that is relatively cheap to buy. He's bought a uh, an MG ZS, which we've tested before when we were at Millbrook at the SMMT day last year, and were quite impressed by. But most cars, well, Ford don't make a cheap one, do they? The cheapest one is about 50 grand. And the Explorer, they won't tell anyone how much it's actually going to cost, but we can guess it's going to be somewhere between 40 and 45 grand, which seems like a very bizarre strategy for a start. You've got the ID3, that's not cheap. The ID4, that's definitely not cheap. Cupra Born, pretty cool, better than the ID3, still not cheap. 
there just aren't really new cheap electric cars. And up until now, if you wanted to buy something relatively cheap, they had rubbish range. I say relatively cheap. You're still talking in the 30s. So Fiat E500, again, something we tested at uh, Millbrook last year. The Mini. Mini. Yep. But again, something that isn't cheap. It's something that's... For how long? What a great question. Thank you, Siri. Um, But again, something that isn't cheap. Ask away. Just be quiet, you. Stop it. So if you want a family car, what do you buy? Now, for us, we don't mind spending a couple of quid more usually in a car because we're into, into cars. But my brother, not at all interested. He's the complete opposite of me. He's just uses a car's utility and that's about it, really. He runs it until it, it runs into the ground and then throws it away. So for him, an MG ZS, it was a 21 plate. It was about £20,000 and it's it, it's got all the tech on it that you could possibly want because he went for a high-spec one and it's it's a decent car. But the, the new players are coming into the market. The ones that really, I think, are going to change the game are definitely the Chinese. Now, in China, you have BYD, Build Your Dreams, who produce millions of cars. Millions of cars? Is that right? Millions yes, they produce yeah, more EVs yeah. than Tesla. And also batteries. So for commercial vehicles, for buses, everything else as well. You have Great Wall, who are tied together with Mini. In fact, they are joint platform sharing with BMW for the new Mini. And they are coming over with cars like the Aura Funky Cat and an, a new five-door version, which has just been released at the Fully Charged show over the last week or so. I think probably the future, really. Uh, and they're coming into a market and, and democratising it. So the MG4 starts about 26 grand as, as we speak. Suddenly, your legacy manufacturers offering cars at 40,000, 50,000 as a, a normal mass market car seem massively out of touch to me. Well, it does. I mean, but then there's the there's the monthly cost. You know, the, the initial purchase cost is almost irrelevant. It's the residuals that matter because most people pay for their cars monthly. So if it's 65 grand today, but it's 60 grand in a year's time, then it's just under 500 quid a month by the time you've added some interest to it or whatever so there's that and then it's and that's if you do it over a year but if it's you normally have it over two or three years so it's even less than that per month so that's that's it, it's almost the initial price is not irrelevant but if a car's a million pounds today and a million pounds in three years time then technically the cost of ownership to uh to buy it and watch it depreciate is zero but i think that's kind of flipped on its head given the state of the ev use market over the last couple of months it has absolutely tanked mainly due to well two factors the cost of electricity is uh, shot through the roofs so all of a sudden you go from oh well it's the equivalent of doing 300 miles per gallon in fuel cost to uh oh it's the equivalent of doing 30 to the gallon in fuel cost so that hasn't helped and then elon musk mucking about with the prices as you know, triggered a few a few shock waves, but the uh, the price drop that Elon put in was well, great news if you're a cash buyer. The price has gone down a few quid, but the effect it had on the PCPs was astronomical. It it put the monthly payments up from three hundred or four hundred and something pounds on a uh, a Model Y or whatever it was to seven hundred quid. It was it just it tanked the residuals because of course you suddenly drop ten grand out of the price of a new one. The used one instantly drops more than that, so it it didn't have the uh, the effect I think he quite thought about. But Tesla, as uh, as we know, are disruptors if nothing else, and they've certainly done that this year. But yeah, it's, it's when you look at that that headline RRP that you see on the website and you try and click and 
add it to your basket and buy it now is um yeah it's, it's a lot of money and yeah 65 grand for a a family suv is just too much money i think i think michael was on the right track i mean there there was something like 2022 chinese brands uh, fairly large builders in all cases and more than half of them have said they're going to be here in Europe in the next year or two. And I think there's a there's a popular misconception that it's going to be like the earliest days of Japanese cars. They'll be very cheap, yes, but they won't be very good. There'll be a generation or two behind the domestic product. And it ain't going to be like that. You know, what's coming our way are going to be at affordable prices, top quality EVs. And, uh, you know, you mentioned already BYD. These are huge manufacturers with a massive domestic market, which they've been feeding quality cars into. And I can see them doing considerable amount of damage to, to the UK market. Unlike, as I say, I do remember the early days of the Japanese cars, and, and the, there was no major impact on the market. It took them a long time to really develop top-quality European models. They certainly are now. The Chinese car makers are going to hit us immediately with very palatable, very acceptable, very high spec and very good cars for rather less money than the UK uh, or European manufacturers have got used to. And I, I wonder who's actually going to going to fall out because I, I can see the possibility of at least one or two European manufacturers falling by the wayside. Probably get bought by one of these nascent Chinese companies. It yeah. I mean, there's already big tie-ups, aren't there? I mean, you've got Volkswagen... Uh, have had very big tie-ups with the Chinese um, through for legal reasons. You know, Chinese law, manufacturing law, meant you had to have a certain percentage of um, the content had to be from local if you wanted to sort of sell your stuff in their country. Um, mm-hmm. That's why Volkswagen produced so much there. The obvious one, BMW, the Mini E is is produced in China, I believe, isn't it? It's on the on the platform of um, the of new another one, one of, of their. Their vehicles. I mean, that's that's a sort of statement of intent. If they're making cars for BMW, that tells you they're already up to the standard they need to be. These are not just companies that have been born in a shed and turn out nonsense. A lot of them are backed by the likes of Sake, the Shanghai Automotive Group. So, for example, brands you may have heard of, Geely, maybe Volvo, you've probably heard of. There's lots of bigger companies, as you rightly say. It's only a matter of time for potentially they build to the point where they can overtake other companies. Electric cars, yes, if there's going to be a future in them, need to be cheaper. And £500 a month might be obtainable for some. But when you consider the fact that you probably need to chuck eight, nine, ten grand down as a deposit for that, and then look at something like an MG4 as an example, which at the moment are looking somewhere along the line of, I think it was three, eight, three, nine down, and maybe three, four hundred pounds a month, which puts it quite a bit cheaper. Certainly it's still a chunk of cash, but most car PCPs now are between three, three fifty and four hundred a month. It suddenly becomes a lot more realistic. And as technology improves and batteries get a bit cheaper. Well you say about technology, Neo, which is one of the um, one of the companies that's slated to come to the UK before the end of this year, they're often called the uh, the Chinese version of Tesla because their cars look not dissimilar, they have similar styling, their technology and um, design is uh, different to the others. They're not trying to look mainstream in the way perhaps sort of the MG 
MG5 is. You know, it looks like your mm. standard family estate car. You wouldn't give it a second look, would you? No, but these are sort of willfully look at us. We're, you know, they're, they're second look cars. And they mm. have got, as we've sort of said over the years about the, the problems with electric cars is the charging, the finding a charging point, sitting there for 25, 30 minutes, breaking up your journey. Neo actually already have a swappable battery model that they operate in in china and other parts of europe where literally you can swap the battery over and be gone in five minutes which is what i've been banging on about for ages saying this is how it needs to be if people are going to adopt electric cars on mass and if they've worked this one out and you can swap larger capacity batteries if you know you're going on a long journey you put a bigger battery and if you know you're only going to go a short journey you put a smaller one in and it's all on a, a subscription model so you know you pay However much, I think you pay a certain amount per month. If it's included within the terms of your um, your monthly rebate, then you get the big battery if that's what you're paying for. But if you don't want to have to pay that much, you're only going on short journeys for a month, I think you sort of wind back your subscription for a bit. That's how it's going to work. And that's going to make a lot of people stop and take notice. It would certainly make me stop and take notice because there's no way in the world I want to spend my future motoring career standing around in windswept car parks waiting for someone's car to finish charging so i can have a go and i mean have we have we are we seeing a situation where the u.s and uh, european car makers have have misread market developments and and they still see evs and hybrids as as premium products yep and they're not they've been premium products at premium prices and whether they're profitable or not i'm guessing they are more there was more margin in most EVs, I suspect, than most road cars, uh, conventionally fueled road cars. But I think that the prices are simply too high, and there's a major shake-up on its way. I think the issue for me is that if you look at cars that are fifty odd thousand pounds, and a lot of the legacy manufacturer cars are fifty thousand pounds plus, they're nice and they're nicely trimmed because they have to be because they're that much money. But you jump into something, and I'm going to use the MG4 again as an example because there's not a lot of, of of mainstream cars that are available at this sort of price point, and they are pretty much half the money, and I'm not convinced it's half the car. And if you look at the likes of um, South Africa, look at Australia, and look at the cars that are coming across, look at the likes of Cherry, for example. I'd never heard of Cherry before earlier this year and you look at the machines that are, that are coming out and i think this is it's a car yes it's quite a smart looking car if you were after a family machine to drive around in it's perfect you know it, it'll do everything you want it to do the cost is considerably less than anything else and the moment that we start seeing these come flooding into the uk i think we're possibly going to see the death of some of the big mainstream manufacturers certainly ones that have pinned their hopes on creating what they see is, is premium products. Um, so I think, yes, you're, you're right, Graham. I think there's, there's an issue that they they see them as premium. They see them as potentially a way of making a good margin. Will have neglected potentially their ICE offerings as we head towards 2030. And as battery technology improves, it gets cheaper. We're looking, a number of manufacturers now are, are looking at and utilising cobalt-free batteries. There's going to be batteries which are much faster to charge will discharge quicker, so shorter range, but you can top them up very quickly. This alleviates some of your standing around for 25 minutes, whatever it might be. Uh, the technology is, is improving all the time. And we, we spoke earlier on about the Mackie and Ford Explorer. If you look at the, the new Explorers as it, as it comes through, they're anticipating, and this is based on the 
the MEB platform. So same really as ID3, ID4, uh, and all the, the the VAG cars. A charge, if you can get it to charge at a high speed charger fast enough, going from 20 to 80 percent is going to be about 25 minutes. That's a hell of a chunk. And I appreciate you're saying, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to wait around that long. When you're looking at this point in time, a lot of EVs are taking 10 minutes to do 70 miles. Suddenly being able to do 80, you know, a good 20 to 80 percent of, of your charge in in the same time, you might get 140 miles. It is, I think, relatively impressive, really. And as technology improves and it gets better, then it's only going to get cheaper and quicker. And we're going to need to be able to, to offer cars at the price point that means they're available, not just new, but also used to everybody. That's it. But it's it's almost, uh, I, I think in this day and age, people's opinions of cars change a lot quicker. If you look at um, how relatively little amount of time it took for Kia to go from being being a joke, being an you know, and also ran everyone laughed at them, to you know, one of the UK's best selling cars with a good reputation for quality, style, design, all the things that people want in a car. Uh, how little amount of time that took them compared to, let's say, Skoda, from their reputation mm. as it was to to what it is now. Um, that took them a lot longer. So I think with uh, with information, the internet, podcasts, you know, YouTube, all the sources of information that car buyers can look at, actually, I think there's a bit of a, well, yes, you would occasionally pay a bit more for a badge and you've got that that traditional, uh, oh, yes, well, you can have a Mondeo or you can have a 3 Series. The 3 Series is a bit more money, but you get a nicer bit of leather in it or whatever. Um, I, I think opinions like that, took a long time to change in the old days. I don't think that's the case now. And I think the, you know, you almost had to rely on uh, on your neighbour buying one. And it was the first one in the street, but he bought it because he didn't have a lot of money and it was a cheap car. And then eventually it caught on and spread out throughout the rest of the street and then the next street and off you go. Nowadays, you release a bit of info on a car and a good review comes out. That's seen by millions all around the world in, in a matter of minutes or matter of hours. And the opinions can change that quickly. And I, I think that's certainly happening with uh, with MG. Um, and uh, and any new entrants to the market, I think that that ramp up if they come up with a decent, decently priced, well trimmed, well appointed car, um, they'll do well. And I think the the legacy manufacturers' reliance on, oh yes, but we are BMW, we are Audi, we are Mercedes, we are Ford, we are Vauxhall, we are Honda, we are whoever. Um, I I don't think that. Oh yes, we did it well in the past, so people will carry on buying them. I I don't think that will happen with EVs. So the uh, the legacy manufacturers need to up their game if uh, if they're going to hang around. I think. I think there is still a risk of the geezer in the pub, the the auto guru at the end of the bar, who knows all about the cars and he's still telling Skoda jokes and um, you know is 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 so far behind. He'll still tell you how Fiat's all four to pieces because. They haven't got any paint on, and and so on and so on. All of these these ridiculous automotive um, uh, opinions, uh, they are still circulating. I think you're quite right, Jim. They are dying out because people are better informed. But I, I still hear people with the most ridiculous opinions about cars, uh, who might have only driven half a dozen cars if that in their lives, and and they they are great opinion formers as far as they're concerned. Whereas, in fact, you know, collectively, we've driven hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars. Um, mm. So I would hope uh, we have a slightly more informed opinion. 
there's definitely though, I and mean, there was probably times I was driving fifty different cars a week, I reckon. But I think as we've even maybe fifteen, twenty years ago, there still were a few pretty terrible cars out there. Chrysler made some dreadful ones, I have to say. If this the Sebring, one of my my absolute worst. Then you had Chevrolet with the rebadged Deus, which were also pretty terrible, even if they were cheap. The Deus was a very good car for the money. Tiny little cars, they, they served their purpose and they were very affordable. And they weren't, in my opinion, I, I was road testing them in period. I don't think they were, were a bad car. I only ever drove one really bad car, which was then subsequently withdrawn from the UK market. And that was a, a Jeep, uh, I think it was Mahindra. But it was the suspension setup was so bad. Uh, it's the only car I've ever got seasick in. But now there aren't very many terrible cars. There are lots of cars that are boring, and not particularly interesting, whatever. But there aren't any. There's. I'm trying to. I'm struggling to think of cars that are genuinely terrible. I think what we we will see with a lot of the legacy manufacturers is a bit of complacency. There isn't space for, let's say, I guess my point was there's not space really for terrible cars because they just would go out of business. But you're going to see this complacency. There'll be a lot of that's the way we always did it. That's people always buy us because of this, that's all the other. And they're going to end up doing a Rover. They won't <laughs> pay to develop the right bit. They'll assume that people will buy them because they always have. And it's they're going to look very old fashioned very quickly. And yeah, there we go. In terms of business, maybe not even in terms of the cars, but I, I think unless it's possible for the manufacturers to take a good hard look at what the market's actually doing, what people are actually asking for. And that's either cars with, if they are going to spend a lot of money on them that have a ridiculous range, which is probably not viable, an infrastructure which needs to improve, we, we know this. So what do you do with EVs if you're in a particularly rural area, parts of Wales, what have you? What's the solution? Hybrids. Hybrids is a possibility. I mean, all these things are an issue. And I guess really, when we talk about electric cars here, we're, we're not really debating the fact that they aren't for everybody. We know this at this point in time, they aren't for everybody. We're making the assumption that if you are looking to buy one, what do you do? If you are at that point where you think, right, for environmental reasons, for financial reasons, whatever it might be, you want to make that shift into electric, what can you do? This is the tricky thing. If you if you are a legacy manufacturer, there aren't good enough offerings, I think is, is basically what we what we come to, isn't it? Yeah, and I think yes. is, is it maybe just a case of them spreading themselves too thin as well? That's something that lots of legacy manufacturers have done in the past. You know, if you had over the um, the the last what twenty five years, Ford, for example, if you wanted a two door small hatchback, five door hatchback, four doors, saloons, estates, five seaters with two tiny seats seven seaters that you know anything and everything however many people you wanted to fit in a car however many doors you wanted whether you wanted the roof to come down or come off it you know that that was all there but it had relatively similar underpinnings at the moment it's almost mm. like they're still trying to do that but also do evs which are totally different i mean if evs are still cars they still have you know ride handling seats a steering wheel brakes etc infotainment all the bits that that need to make them a car but all the the underpinnings are, uh, are obviously very different ice to ev and the I, I think it is that it dare i say is it as different as making internal combustion engine cars to internal combustion engine motorbikes you know if ford suddenly turned around and said oh we're building a motorbike or Harley Davidson or Ducati said we're building a car. It it might not be the best thing to start off with. So is it that radically different that the startups, the Chinese, the the pure EV 
vehicle manufacturers just have that inherent advantage because they're not distracted by other things. Mm. They're not distracted so much by their, their heritage. And you touch on a good point there, Jim. Uh, most of uh, the legacy brands, or certainly the UK brands that we're, we're all familiar with, uh, many of them started off making bicycles, then went to making motorcycles, then gradually moved into cars. And most of them had been, have been, sometimes had been, uh, in business for well over a hundred years, their their time has come. You know, it, it's it's if they can't keep up, they're going to be overwhelmed by what's coming from the Far East. They were uh, initially by the, by the Japanese uh, invasion. They fought back. That um, it's not going to happen this time. Well, I don't think there's going to be any any snobbishness against it either, because we're so used to buying everything from China now. A car's just another consumer item, and it will Mm. become an aspirational item. People go, that looks good. It's got lots of pretty things. It goes fast. I can control it from my phone. What's not to like? I don't care where it comes from, if it's China, if it's Britain. As long as the price is right and it does everything you want, I think people will put aside any thought of, tradition they're just going to go with what's right for them it's a brave new world and it's a whole new playing field i think lots of people the it's uh it's not just cars that are like this is it it's the uh cost of uh cost of living crisis i think the supermarkets have seen sales of their own brand this that the other skyrocket because when you look at you know a jar of nutella chocolate spread and i think a huge i was in uh in a supermarket the other day in a, a huge jar you know okay it was enough to uh to kill somebody with or use it as a you know a paperweight to uh to keep down something from floating away but it was you know seven eight nine ten quid this huge jar of uh chocolate spread whereas a tesco value-owned brand was um 79p or something stupid and the the number of people that actually if you overhear them in the supermarket i'll just buy that one it's all the same stuff anyway and the you know heinz ketchup as opposed to tesco own brand ketchup where well, it looks the same it oh, tastes it about the same and if ketchup. it's if it's a third of price yeah I, i'm still not sure about compromising on ketchup but or lots beans. of different different bits and pieces you uh you can compromise on and they're they're just as good they taste the same or they taste near enough bearing in mind they're a third of the price so that i think that brand snobbery's disappeared and you know even for things like um uh trainers you know dunlop green flashes you know you get beaten up at school if you had to wear those to pe whereas now they're they're cool they're a status symbol almost so it's yeah but opinions change and opinions change quickly but i think more and more people are looking for uh looking for value these days when you you buy something off amazon they it doesn't matter what you search for they make their own suggestions anyway as to what it is you're going to buy but you end up buying i don't know a wireless phone charger probably from a make you've never heard of and you just don't care do you because it's acceptable for the money i think that's the point and I think the issue with the industry at the moment is that these the cars that are coming through aren't are more than acceptable for the money. They're good cars for the money. They drive well, they handle well, they do all the same things. So why would you? Why would you spend more unless it was something that was uh, you know particularly nice? I looked at the um, the Lotus Electra earlier on. There's been a number of uh, a number of releases about that recently. It starts at ninety thousand pounds, which is a lot of money. But you look at it and it looks kind of like an Urus or, or, or cars of that ilk. And when you're talking that regular cars can be 65 grand, it suddenly looks like quite good value. <laughs> it, it, it just seems like an insane thought, doesn't it, really? You're thinking, oh, 90 grand, that seems actually okay compared to a 65 grand one. 
Mm. Uh, that sort of money, though, if you had the means to do it, you think, well, this is a bit special. It's quick. It's you know, it's got the handling behind. It's got the Lotus badge, whatever. It's not an everyday car. It's 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 you might be your everyday driver, but it's it's next level. And I don't think that at fifty, if, you know, for fifty or sixty grand, I would want something next level. I don't want something which is just an everyday car. Or it's the uh, if uh, for petrol heads as as us, a good discussion is always a uh, two car garage, three car garage, or whatever you know. But when you're talking about uh, okay, would you rather have uh, a Mustang Mach E or would you rather have an MG4 and an Aston Martin Vantage? Well, yes, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's it's no, it's, no it's an absolute no brainer yeah. isn't it or you could and yeah. again the when you to put it into context well it's like okay have the mg4 and it's like okay, well, well if it's not reliable okay for the same money i will buy two so that when one breaks i have another one it's and it's and got when, a seven-year warranty golf, anyway yeah when the gulf between the two cars becomes so much so that you could buy two for the price of one and they are in essence the same size shape and consistency as each other it becomes very hard to justify. You know, you double the price of a house, you would expect to add a couple of bedrooms and some garage width and bathrooms and whatever else. You know, there's a very quantifiable square footage difference between a £300,000 house and a £600,000 house. So that difference in value needs to be there with a car. Simple as that. Right then, so just to conclude on this, which brands are the ones you think we need to watch? BYD, without a doubt. Uh, they look like producing good cars at a good price, and they're a volume car manufacturer. They know what they're doing. Dave? I think Neo, purely because of the model that they're promoting of swapping out the batteries, that's that changes the game considerably. And if they can do that on a mass scale, then I think that will probably revolutionise things. Jim? Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. Neo, Neo and BYD, not... not wishing to uh, to repeat or plagiarise, but I think you're uh, you're bang on with those two chaps. Following on from what MG have mentioned in this country, there are probably two that I'd be looking at at the moment. The first of which is Cherry, just because of what they're doing in the likes of Africa or basically other parts of the world. And the same with, um, and I'm never quite sure if it's Havel or Havel, but it's one of the two. Sim- very similar type of vehicles, the two of them. A lot of them are SUVs. Um, which is obviously on trend at the moment, whether that remains that way, obviously it remains to be seen. Those two brands, it's worth a Google, because you look at them and go, oh, actually, you do get quite a lot for your money. And I think all of these brands are definitely names which we should look at now, and I think will probably become commonplace in the not-too-distant future in the UK. And I guess on that thought, it's probably time for us to go. So we will see you in the future. I've been Mike. Goodbye. I've been Jim. Goodbye. Take care. I'm still Graham, I think. Bye-bye now. And I'm Dave. Take care. See you next time. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.